right, and welcome to this episode of Science Audio Osmosis. This episode is dedicated for my biology students, and we're going to be talking about DNA. We're going to be talking about the structure of DNA and the different processes that DNA goes through in our cells, uh, including replication, transcription, and translation. We'll finally end up with a discussion of mutations and mistakes that happen in our DNA. So, in order to begin, uh, we're going to talk exactly what DNA is and uh, how it is structured. DNA is an acronym. It stands for deoxyribonucleic acid. And DNA has been known for, to scientists for quite a long time. Ever since the 1920s, scientists knew that DNA existed. And we knew that DNA was a polymer, which means it's a long chain of many repeating subunits called monomers. And for DNA, the monomer is the nucleotide. So each nucleotide in DNA has three distinct parts. A phosphate group, um, a ring-shaped sugar that's called deoxyribose, that's where DNA gets the first part of its name, and a nitrogen-containing base. Now, all the nucleotides in DNA have the same basic structure. The only thing that differs in the nucleotides in DNA is that nitrogen-containing base. Now, DNA itself is composed of four different nucleotides. They're called adenine, guanine, cytosine, and thymine. Usually we just use the letters to denote these for shorthand. So A, G, T, and C. These four bases, or four nucleotides, are what make up DNA. They're divided into two different groups based on their chemical structure. Two of them are a double-ringed structure. Uh, we call them purines. Those are adenine and guanine. The other two are single-ring structures. We call them pyrimidines. And those are thymine and cytosine. And you can remember this because pyrimidine has a Y in it. And the two bases that are spelled with Ys are the pyrimidines. So thymine and cytosine are both pyrimidines. They all have Y in it. Now, for a long time, scientists thought that DNA was made up of equal amounts of each of the four nucleotides. And that made sense, that that was reasonable. But in the 1950s, a scientist by the name of Erwin Shargaff uh, kind of started to turn things on its head. And Shargaff found that the same four bases of DNA are found in all organisms, but they're in different proportions. Shargraf found that the amount of adenine, or A, is roughly equal to the amount of thymine, or T. And by the same token, the amount of cytosine, or C, is roughly equal to the amount of guanine, G. So A pairing with T and C pairing with G became known as Shargraf's rule. Now, the big breakthrough in DNA came when... Uh, Watson and Crick uh, discovered the actual structure of DNA. Now, James Watson was an American geneticist, and Francis Crick was a British physicist. And they were working in London at the time, and they came up with the double helical structure of DNA. They found that DNA was a double helix, basically like a ladder shape that is, that's twisted. 
On the outside uh, of the ladder uh, were the sugar part, and on the inside of the ladder, the rungs of the ladder, where you would put your feet on the ladder, those were the nucleotides, the bases. And they found that, following Shargaff's rules, adenine on one side paired with uh, thymine on the other side, cytosine on one side paired with guanine on the other side. So Watson and Crick um, used x-ray evidence, some of which was from uh, fellow scientist Maurice Wilkins. Some of it was um, obtained rather underhandedly from uh, another British scientist by the name of Rosalind Franklin. And they were able to come up with this double helix structure. They uh, published their paper in what is now a famous uh, paper in the April 1953 issue of the journal Nature. So overall, DNA is a double helix made of those deoxyribose sugar backbone and phosphate groups in the backbone. And those nucleotides, the bases, the letters, A, T, C, and G, as the rungs of the ladder in the middle. Now, a rather famous part of Watson and Crick's article in that 1953 issue of Nature um, said something to the effect of that they realized that their structure indicated a mechanism for DNA to copy itself. If you'll remember back as we discussed mitosis, during the S phase of the cell cycle, the synthesis phase, we said that DNA made a copy of itself because in order for mitosis to happen, that each new daughter cell at the end of mitosis had to have the same uh, identical genetic material as the parent cell. How does that happen? How does DNA make a copy of, a copy of itself? How does the, uh, such a critical molecule, such a huge molecule, make an exact replica of itself um, in an efficient and and clear manner. And this was really a problem that stumbled scientists and, and one in which a lot of scientists used as an argument to say that DNA was not the genetic code, that it had to be something else, that it was impossible for this huge polymer molecule to easily make a copy of itself. Uh, what Watson and Crick's discovery of the double helical structure showed was that not only did DNA was was it structurally sound but it also made it very easy for it to be copied and that process is what we call the process of DNA replication now DNA replication is basically just that DNA making a copy of itself now, according to Shargaff's rules, we know that A has to bind with T and C bind with G. That means that every time we have an A in DNA, a T is bound to it. Every time we have a C, a G is bound to it. So, here's how this process works. There is an enzyme that goes along and actually unwinds, unzips the DNA double helix. This enzyme has a special name. It's called the DNA helicase. And so the DNA helicase goes through and it unzips the DNA. 
All right. So the enzyme unzips the double helix at different places along the chromosome. It's sort of like one of those pieces of luggage or a book bag that has multiple zippers on it that you can zip and unzip different places on the same zipper at different times. That's exactly how DNA and DNA helicase works. The helicase is like the zipper that you grab a hold of to zip or unzip um, the book bag. This is unzipping the DNA. So what's happening is by unzipping it, the bonds between the letters, the bond that exists between the A and the T, the C's and the G's, get broken. So think about it taking a ladder and cutting it right down the middle, right through the rungs where you would step. That's exactly what this DNA helicase is doing. It's splitting the DNA molecule into two. So on one side you have uh, ATCG, and on the other side you would have the corresponding letters, which would be TAGC. Now, what happens then is a new... Um, enzyme comes along and it's called DNA polymerase and DNA polymerase attaches to one of the now half strands of DNA and it begins to attach onto that half strand new letters so your cells constantly making these nucleotides and they're free floating out there in in the cytoplasm and in the the nuclear membrane and so what DNA polymerase does is it reads, literally reads, that half of the DNA molecule, goes out, grabs the corresponding letter, and attaches it. So after the DNA helicase has unzipped the DNA, the polymerase swoops in, grabs a hold of one side of it, one half of it, and begins to read it. It reads an A. It reads A, so what does it do? It reaches out and grabs a free-floating T and attaches it on. And then it goes on to the next letter. Maybe the next letter is a G. So what does it do? It reads G, it goes out, grabs a C, and attaches that on. And so what happens is it continues to do this throughout the whole section that is that needs copied. Sometimes we could be talking about just a, um, a gene, a certain gene. Other times we're talking about the entire DNA molecule that needs copied. For example, before we go into mitosis. So the DNA polymerase is adding these nucleotides on one at a time. And there's a DNA polymerase on each side of the old half sides of the DNA molecule. So by the end result, what we have is two identical molecules of DNA. And those two identical molecules are what we call semi-conservative because one side is the old original strand and one side is the brand new strand that was connected on by that DNA polymerase. So we say they're semi-conservative because one strand is conserved and one strand is brand new. So the process of replication is really really important. It's also very very important that this happens number one fast and number two very accurately. In a human cell uh, this process is happening at about a rate of 50 nucleotides every second. So it would be happening at so so basically the polymerase is adding on 50 letters to a new strand of DNA 
every second. That's how rapidly this is happening. There's also a built-in proofreader, basically a, an auto uh, autocorrect, a spell check that is built in to the polymerase molecule. And sometimes mistakes do happen and the wrong nucleotide does get added on, but the DNA polymerase is smart enough that it can detect the error, remove the incorrect nucleotide, and then replace it with the correct one. Errors in replication are limited to an astounding one error for every billion, that's billion with a B, nucleotides. So think about it, if I gave you a, a string of A, C's, T's, and G's of DNA, a billion letters long, and ask you to give me the other strand, the opposite side. So A, you'd write T, C, you'd write G so on and so forth a billion times I would expect you to only make one mistake in that billion times that's how good that's how accurate this process is in our cells it really really is incredible and if you think about it this process is happening right now in cells of your body and your cells have done this hundreds millions billions trillions of times throughout your lifetime it really is an incredible process. So DNA replication, as we've just discussed, um, happens when the DNA is making a copy of itself. But it's not always necessary for a DNA molecule to make a complete copy of itself. Sometimes we just need to read part of the DNA molecule to make a protein. If you remember, we made the analogy much earlier on in the course that DNA was kind of like an instruction book. And in that instruction book are different chapters, and each chapter was for a different protein that your, that your cell specifically needs. So sometimes your cell needs to make a protein. It would be very inefficient for your cell to have to read the entire instruction book, the entire molecule of DNA, just to find out one part of one chapter, just to find out how to make one single protein. In order to speed up the process and make it much more efficient, what happens is your DNA unwinds only at that specific point where that gene is located, only at that certain chapter in the book, okay? It makes a copy of that DNA, a special copy, and then the DNA winds itself back, and that special copy is then used to go ahead and make the protein. This is a process that we call transcription. DNA transcription involves another molecule, and it involves something called RNA. Now, if you remember from our discussion of the central dogma of biology, we said the central dogma of biology is that information flows in one direction, from DNA to RNA to proteins. Well, we've talked about DNA. We're there. We've got that. Now let's begin to talk about the second part of that central dogma, RNA. All right. Now, RNA basically carries a message, carries the information from DNA to elsewhere in the cell where it can be used. So we know in eukaryotic cells, uh, DNA is located in the membrane right inside the nucleus inside the nuclear membrane and that's where this process of transcription happens 
this RNA molecule, which by the way stands for ribonucleic acid, as opposed to DNA as deoxyribonucleic acid, RNA acts sort of as an intermediate, uh, kind of a link between DNA in the nucleus and where the proteins are actually produced by the ribosomes out in the cytoplasm. All right. You can think of RNA sort of as a a carbon copy, a temporary copy of DNA that's kind of used once and then destroyed. So here's how this process works. Uh, this process is called transcription. Okay. So first up, um, there is an enzyme that comes along and unzips the part of the DNA that needs to be read, the specific gene that needs to be read. Okay. So we call this the transcription complex. And it basically consists of a few molecules, one of them called RNA polymerase, which is basically a, an unzipping molecule, and uh, some other proteins. And basically what happens is the DNA is unzipped, it's unwound at a specific point to read a specific gene. And just like in DNA replication, in transcription, what happens is we read one side of the DNA molecule, and that RNA polymerase begins to hook together a matching set of letters. Here's the deal. The matching set of letters for RNA is slightly different than it is in DNA. Remember, in DNA, we had adenine, thymine, guanine, cytosine. In RNA, we still have adenine. We still have guanine, we still have cytosine, but there is no thymine in RNA. There's no T. Instead, RNA uses a slightly different nucleotide called uracil. So in RNA, it's now A, U, C, and G. So as the RNA polymerase is reading the one side of the DNA molecule, it sees a T, and so it adds an A. It sees a C, and so it adds a G. It sees a G, so it adds a C. If it sees an A, what's it going to do? It's going to add a U. So that's the one big change between DNA and RNA. DNA has thymine, adenine, guanine, cytosine. RNA has uracil, adenine, guanine, and cytosine. So this RNA polymerase kind of moves along uh, unzipping the gene, uh, the portion of the DNA that's needed, and uh, continually building up this RNA molecule. Now unlike DNA, RNA is a single strand. All right, It's a single strip of letters of A, U, C's, and G's. All right. And you can th you can kind of imagine the uh, the RNA molecule starting to to come out of the the RNA polymerase as it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and keeps growing as more and more letters are added on. Once the uh, RNA polymerase enzyme gets to the end of the gene, the end of the chapter, end of where it needs to read, uh, it basically cuts off the RNA. And the RNA goes floating through the uh, the nucleus, 
and out into the cytoplasm, the RNA polymerase um, basically breaks apart. That enzyme breaks down, breaks apart, and the parts and pieces for it are reused later on. So we've now made this RNA molecule, okay? So DNA unwinds, the RNA polymerase reads the DNA and builds the RNA molecule, and then that completed RNA strand then leaves uh, leaves out of the nucleus and heads its way to the cytoplasm. Now, we talk about RNA as if it's a single entity. Uh, it's not. There are actually three different types of RNA that we'll discuss. The type I just described that's made by the RNA polymerase, that is that temporary copy of DNA. That type is what we call M. RNA. The M stands for messenger because it carries the message from DNA to the ribosomes. All right. So mRNA. And to be honest, that's the type of RNA we generally speak of the most. Another type of RNA that we talk about is rRNA. The first R in rRNA stands for ribosome. The rRNA complex actually attaches onto the ribosomes in the cytoplasm to help make the protein. And we'll see that here in a little bit. And then finally, the third type of RNA we have is called tRNA. The T stands for transfer RNA. The transfer RNA's job is to actually bring the amino acids to the ribosome as the protein is built. And again, we'll talk more about tRNA in coming up here in a little while. Now, this transcription process is very similar to the replication process, but instead of making a full copy of the double-stranded DNA, what we've done is made a temporary copy of single-stranded RNA, uh, mRNA to be exact. So our mRNA is now free. It actually floats out of the nucleus and into the cytoplasm where we begin our next process. So the final process of the central dogma of going from DNA to RNA to protein is called translation. Um, so we've went from DNA, we've talked about RNA, now it's time to make the jump from RNA to protein. And in this process called translation um, is perhaps the most complex of all the processes, uh, but it is certainly the most critical as well. So translation basically is a process just like um, translating one language into another. It's taking information in one form and changing it into another form and that's exactly what your cell is doing. It's taking the information contained in that that temporary messenger RNA, that mRNA molecule that we just made in the nucleus and what's happening is it's, it's converting it, it's translating it into a protein, into a polypeptide. So remember that proteins are polymers, just like DNA is. And the monomer of a protein is called the amino acid. So we have uh, this long string of amino acids hooked together, and that's what we call a polypeptide, or more commonly known as a protein. All right. Now, we've made that... And remember, there's, there's 20 amino acids, by the way, that make up our proteins. Now, we've made that mRNA molecule. Now, our job is to take the information contained in that mRNA, the string of A, U, C, and G, 
that that mRNA is made of and somehow turn that into a functioning protein. So this is what happens. It's a funny thing. The, the mRNA molecule is kind of divided up into three-letter segments. Those three-letter segments are called codons. All right. Sometimes we call it a triplet code. These are called codons. So we look at the, the, the letters of the mRNA three letters at a time. CGT, um, AUG, um, CUU. Whatever the three letters at a time are, that's how we, we take it. We break it down into three-letter chunks. All right? And by we, I mean ourselves. This is literally how our cells work. So um, amino acids are coded for uh, by these different codons, these different three-letter codes. Um, think about there's a relationship here that exists between these three-letter codes and each amino acid. Um, so you read a certain three-letter code and that corresponds to a certain amino acid. Uh, for example, the amino acid leucine. All right, That's one of the 20 amino acids that can be used to build a protein. So we have the amino acid leucine. There are six different codons that code for leucine. That's CUU, CUC, CUA, CUG, UUA, UUG. Any one of those three-letter segments tells your cell, ah, I want leucine here. So what happens is that mRNA that we made in the, um, in the nucleus is read three letters at a time. So remember we discussed the three types of RNA, and I said one of them was the rRNA, the ribosomal RNA. That ribosomal RNA attaches to the ribosome. If you remember way back when we talked about cells and cell organelles, we said the ribosomes were like the factory workers. They're the ones that built the proteins. Well, way back in September when we said that, said that uh, you didn't know at the time that we would circle back around at this point and say, okay, this is how this is happening. This is their role. They're going to attach to an, a ribosomal RNA segment. And this ribosome and this rRNA piece of machinery are going to hook together basically to make this, this translation device for your cell. And what happens is the mRNA gets fed through, um, very similar to like... Um, an old punch card computer. If you've ever seen any of the um, old pictures or old, um, even old voting machines that used punch cards, what would happen is um, you'd have a, literally a physical piece of cardboard with holes punched in it at different points, and they got fed through a, a machine and read by the computer. That's exactly how your mRNA is working. These letters, the string of A's, U's, C's, and G's, is sent through this ribosome rRNA complex. And it's read three letters at a time. Every time this um, ribosomal rRNA complex reads that three-letter codon, it then dispatches a tRNA molecule, a transfer RNA molecule, to go out into the cytoplasm, 
grab a free-floating amino acid and bring it over and begin hooking it together. So, for example, um, let's say the first codon that the uh, ribosome reads is CUA, all right? So it reads CUA, so it tells the tRNA molecule, hey, tRNA, go grab me a leucine. So tRNA goes out, grabs a leucine, brings it in. Then the next codon that's read maybe is um, isoleucine. All right, so let's say the next codon is uh, AUU for isoleucine. So the ribosome tells tRNA, hey, go grab me an isoleucine. And so the tRNA goes out, grabs one of them, brings it in, hooks it to that original leucine molecule. And then let's say the next um, uh, codon is um, GUC, and that's for valine. And so it tells it, hey, go give me a valine. And so the tRNA, off it goes, grabs a valine, brings it back, attaches it to that isoleucine. This process continues until the mRNA runs out, until they hit the end of what was made back in the nucleus. All right. So now what we have is a string of these amino acids hooked together. Oh, hey, a string of amino acids hooked together. Gee, that's a protein. That's a polypeptide. And so what happens then is that string of amino acids is released by the tRNAs and the ribosomal complex. And that mass of TR or, uh, amino acids folds up in on itself, uh, forms the quaternary structure of the protein. And then that protein is then carried to elsewhere in the cell where it's needed. All right. Um, remember the Golgi body? We said it packages and ships proteins. Well, that's where it goes. It goes to the Golgi body that packages and ships proteins. Uh, a lot of this happens on the rough endoplasmic reticulum because those ribosomes are there making, that's what makes it the rough ER rough is those ribosomes. And if you remember this back from September when we were talking about cell organelles and the different parts and pieces, it was all very vague and abstract at that point. But now you're beginning to see the processes that are taking place. So we've talked about tRNA, we've talked about RNA, we've talked about mRNA. And so that's the process. We've now went from DNA to RNA. Now we have made a protein. The last thing we're going to um, talk about here is a little bit of uh, gene expression and a little bit about mutations. Now, there's a few things that we talk about in terms of gene expression. Um, first of all is something called a promoter. And a promoter is a segment of DNA that allows a gene to be transcribed, to go through the transcription process. Another piece of DNA we call an operator is one that turns a specific gene either on or off. All right. And these promoters and these operators work together in these systems called operons. And operons do, um, what they do is they code for all the proteins needed for a specific job. All right. One of the first examples of operons that was uh, discovered was the LAC operon, L-A-C, LAC operon. 
all right? And uh, it regulated the enzymes that are needed by our body to break down the sugar lactose, hence lac-operon, all right? So the lac-operon is off when lactose is not present in the body, but as soon as lactose is detected in the body, the lac-operon turns on and begins to manufacture these proteins through the process of transcription and translation that help to um, break down the lactose uh, that are, that's found in our body. Now, someone who is lactose intolerant doesn't have this process. All right. Now, mutations are the last thing that we're going to talk about. And mutations are simply, simply mistakes in the DNA. A mutation is a change in an organism's DNA. Then there's a couple of different mutation types that we'll talk about. First is called a, a point mutation. And a point mutation is simply where one letter gets substituted in for another letter. It's that one in a billion with a B um, mistakes that the um, RNA polymerase doesn't quite grab. All right. So... A point mutation is just switching out a letter. And you say, big deal, what's one letter? Well, realize if we change one letter, we could be changing the amino acid that that particular gene is coding for, which means you're changing the protein, which means either the protein won't work at all, or it won't work as good, or won't work in the expected way um, as needed. So that one letter mutation can have far-reaching effects. Now, there's another type of mutation that occurs, and it's called a frame shift mutation. Okay? A frame shift mutation happens when an extra letter uh, is inserted into uh, one side of the DNA, or if a letter gets deleted by mistake. Um, we've all had that experience of deleting a file, losing a file, um, not saving something quick enough, and, and losing information same thing can happen in our nucleus inside of our DNA. If we lose um, a letter, if we, if we happen to add a letter, um, then all of a sudden everything is shifted. That's why we call this a frame shift mutation. And now we have different codons coding for different amino acids, which means our protein is going to be messed up. Now there's different things also that can happen. Uh, for example, there's some chromosomal mutations that happen during crossing over, uh, things called uh, gene translocation. Um, there's really, a, unfortunately, a lot of room for error in these. All right, uh, These chromosomal mutations can sometimes have a uh, big effect. Uh, for example, people with coronary artery disease. Uh, many times that's because of heredity, because they have inherited a mistake, a mutation in their DNA that makes more cholesterol in their blood than is needed. And so that cholesterol builds up over time and can cause some serious health effects, can even kill you. Um, this is a common abnormality, and that's why the statin drugs like Lipitor are so widely prescribed, because so many people have that certain genetic mutation in them. Uh, nothing you can do uh, to fix it. There's treatment available, like I said, through pharmaceuticals, um, diet and exercise to a certain extent. Um, 
but a lot of these chromosomal abnormalities, you just can't get over them. Um, too many of these mistakes, and that's what triggers a cell to go through the process of apoptosis. And if you remember, uh, apoptosis is cell self-destruction. So too many mistakes, and the cell basically calls it a day and says, listen, this isn't going to work, and self-destructs so it doesn't cause any more problems as that cell duplicates. The problem with cancer in the cell cycle is that process goes away and the mistaked cell continues to divide. So you start to see how all of these things kind of wrap in on one another. As we've discussed cell and microbiology for the last several months in class, um, you can begin to wrap your head around things we talked about back in September as far as ribosomes and the Golgi body and, and all those organelles. Now we can kind of make connect the dots, um, see how DNA and genes and genetics and heredity all, uh, all play a part here. Uh, it's all part of one giant picture of biology. And honestly, I think this is why this is my favorite part of the entire course, because you really start to see the big picture here. So that does it for um, DNA, transcription, translation, replication, and uh, mutations.